Isaiah 55 says it very clearly. Why do you waste your money? Now, he's not talking about actual money. Believe what he's talking about in Isaiah 55. You know what? I genuinely came here wanting to preach something else. Can we just go to Isaiah 55, though? We'll just do that. We were going to talk about something else. But this is all right. This is good. Thank God we let him lead, right? How many of you have a New American Standard? All right. <laughs> the way that that came out made it like we were just better than everybody else. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I realize how it looks afterwards. It's kind of like saying, how many white people in the house? You know, it's not a good thing. Um, I just was saying that to, to set you up for something, that in the New American Standard, it starts off with quite a jolt. Uh, we don't speak this way in English very much anymore, but in my Bible it says, Ho! Which is like, hey! Pay attention, everyone. This is the thought, right? Everyone who thirsts, what do you do? Tell them the water. Okay. I'm sorry, everybody who thirsts, say, Jesus, bring me some water. Not necessarily, although that's a good thing, and he will. The, Jesus said, if you drink of me, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. But there's a time where he says, and this is, this is God's call to Israel in the Old Covenant. It's his call to the Gentiles in the New Covenant. And it's his call to us. Because even though you've got that river of living water inside of you, there are times when God says, here I am, come. There's times where you make a move. There's times where you draw near to God and He draws near to you. There are times of response that are absolutely necessary. The Scripture is all about response. That's really what faith is. Faith is response, isn't it? That's all it is. I mean, let's simplify it. Faith is, yes, trusting in God, relying on Him. It's responding to what He says. Can I tell you something? I don't have any faith that God is going to give me a flying hippopotamus tomorrow. Say, oh, you're not a man of faith then. Doesn't Jesus say, whatever you ask, you can have if you believe and don't doubt? Well, here's the deal. God never promised me a flying hippopotamus. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And since God never told me I should have a flying hippopotamus, I don't have faith for that. You know, we, faith is responding to what God has promised Faith is responding to what he's given. So when we receive, let's, for instance, when you, uh, God offered through Jesus Christ, through the cross, grace for you to be born again. Right? That was his free gift. A free gift. And everything from God is that. It's good and perfect. It's a gift. What does faith do? Faith responds to God's offer. Faith responds to his move and says, yes, I receive that. When God, through the grace of God, offers you healing, offers you all of these things that the Word promises us, it's faith that doesn't just make these things up, but rather responds to God and says, yes. So there's something really weird about sitting still when Jesus, or, or the Lord here, says, come. When He says, come, the smartest thing you can do is get up and come, right? Get up and start walking somewhere. He says, hey, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. It's a very real and permanent truth in our life that everything we need is found in Him. 
Every thirst is quenched, not even quenched, but satisfied in Him. Every, every hunger is filled in Him. Everything you're looking for in life is found in Him. Come to that very real realization that there is nothing that you need outside of Him. Now, will, does the Lord want you to have a car? Yeah, He does. Thank God. Does the Lord want you to have a house? Yes. But in all those things, we seek first His kingdom. Those things are added. Jesus said the Father knows you need these things, and He wants to give them to you. He loves to give them to you. Everything you ever need is found in Him. Everything you should ever want. And so if you're chasing water where there's not water to be found, you're going to be disappointed. He says this, And you who have no money, thank God, come buy and eat. What a strange statement. If you don't have any money, buy some. Isn't that weird to you? If you said that to your kid, do you think that they'd just say, okay, they wouldn't be confused by that? Why don't you go to the store and buy some food? I don't have any money. Oh, good. You don't have any money? Go and buy it. Go, go buy some food. I just said I don't have any money. Oh, maybe you should buy some money. How do you buy money? You know, I thought when I was a kid, I, I just couldn't understand you adults. I don't understand what was wrong with you. You write a check, you get money. Why don't you write yourself a check? This is what I thought. <laughs> You write a check, the bank gives you money. Start writing checks, guys. We don't want to use up all our paper. Problem solved, guys. You need money. The bank's got it. You got paper that says, here, I have paper. Give me money. That should work. The Lord says, you who have no money, come by and eat. What is this talking about? It's talking about the grace of God that simply when we come to him with nothing, he doesn't turn us away and say, well, you've got nothing to offer me. Why do I need to give you anything? Because the Lord is not out to get something from you. What he does want is your life and your heart. In fact, what he wants is everything. And so when you come freely with nothing to offer God, he's got everything to offer you. It says, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without You see how many times the word come is mentioned. Come here. Come to me. When you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you need something, you come to me. And I'm sure as many of you who are parents out here, you felt that same way about your kids. You want them to know at the very bottoms of their being, at the very depths of their souls, that if I need something, I can come to you. And you feel good about that. If, is there anything you need, you come to me. And our father is a, is a more righteous father than we could ever imagine. And when he says, here, whatever you need, come and get it. I offer this to you. Then he says this. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Now, I don't believe that God, through the prophet Isaiah at this point, is, is really talking about gold and silver at this point. He's talking about the things that make up your life. Your energy is worth a lot. Your time is worth a lot. I, we live in Lloydminster where time is at a premium. We're not, I mean, th realize that, that a lot of people will spend money so that they don't have to spend time. We are some of the busiest people. Always busy. Always got stuff going on. Always 
crowded. Our lives are very crowded. And if you, if you get kids, then you're more crowded. And then, you know, you think, you've, you think your schedule's gotten back to normal. And then something else is added. Time is a premium thing to us. Our energy is premium. We're not like, we're not like the kind of people that just, you know, finish work at noon and go have coffee for the rest of the afternoon and just enjoy life and go eat a tomato and go to sleep. That, that's just not life for us. <laughs> we're so busy. In many senses, that's what our money is, is our energy, is our life, is our love, is our time. And God is saying this. He's not saying this as a harsh taskmaster. He's not saying this as a cruel dictator. He's saying this as a loving father. Why, oh why, do you spend all your time, all your, your effort, all your money, all your all your valuable energy that I gave you. You see, that real energy is the life that God gave you. He breathed His breath into your lungs and gave you life. And every moment of the day, you're spending that breath on something. The life He gave you, the breath He breathed into you, you're breathing and you're spending that breath, that energy, that very life on something. And He says, why are you wasting it? It's not even bread. Why are you wasting your money on what's not going to actually feed you in the end? Why waste all your time? And the Lord doesn't say this because He's mad at you. He says this because He loves you. Because here's what He says. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. So, what are we eating then? I mean, apparently, whatever we're eating is coming from him. He says, once you listen carefully to me, you begin to eat what I have. Now, we know that the word of God is the bread of life, that Jesus was the bread of life, that we know that his word is our daily bread. And so when we say this, not only do we listen carefully to him and his very words are food to us, but they also supply us with whatever we need. They, God supplies us with whatever you desire, whatever you really have need of. He says, and not only that, but delight yourself in abundance. See, in the world, when you're chasing things, you'll always have just enough. But with God, when you come to Him, He pours these things out. Now, think about it. All He wants you to do is come and say, I'm hungry. All He wants you to do is come and say, I'm thirsty. All he wants you to do is look to him and be satisfied. Verse 3. He says, incline your ear and come to me. And I, I want you to know that this is a very valuable thing. See, the Bible says that when we heed the words of the prophet, we prosper. It says when we listen to the word of God, things change and and we, we profit by it. Our lives are better because we heard the word of God. What do you think it means to incline your ear? Let's just picture that. What's an incline? Right? So if we incline our ear, you're leaning in, right? Now I want to talk about this for just a moment. Because there are millions of voices thrown at you every day. You're hearing stuff all the time. Not only when you go to work do you hear stuff all the time. But you are surrounded, surrounded 
by commercials all the time. Advertisements everywhere. What do they want? They want your money. They want your approval. They want you. And everywhere you go, there's something screaming at you. You have voices all over. Like I said, we don't really live a super simple life. So all around us, there are voices coming. There are things we hear. There are things we're taking in. And it takes some effort to lean into the Word of God. Because if you're not careful, you'll hear this, what I'm saying, what the Word says, with the same interest that you hear everything else. We've trained ourselves to tune things out, haven't we? That's probably a good thing. If we didn't train ourselves to do that, we'd go crazy. There's so many voices screaming at us all the time. Not only that, but we are so addicted to entertainment that we've kind of forgotten what it's like to just sit down in the living room and not have anything going on, right? Now, I'm not trying to be the old curmudgeon here that says, back in the old days... We didn't have this picture tubes and all these things. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting down on you, but I think, it's, I think it is a real and, and um, real very present threat to our, to our very spiritual lives that we have grown up in a generation that needs to be entertained all the time, that we need to be entertained. So, you know, that entertainment carries something. It's like, you ever, you remember the story of the Trojan horse? Yeah? In uh, Homer's The Iliad, the Greeks were fighting amongst each other. Well, they really, we call them the Greeks, but there was just a, a collection of city-states at the time, and they're fighting over a girl, typical, right? And uh, so then <laughs> the Trojans, the people of Troy, have actually wi- withheld and, and uh, stood against the defenders, and the defenders haven't been able to break the walls, and, and even Achilles himself, the, the great hero, is dead. Then Agamemnon's people, the other, the other Greeks that have come, the invaders, they say, well, how will we get in? And, and of course, uh, Odysseus has this great idea. Here's what we'll do. We will make a big giant horse, right? A big statue. And we'll offer it as a gift, like a, like a, a gift to the gods. And we'll just, you know, we'll... we'll put it in front of the gates, or we'll leave, it, we'll leave it on the seashore here, and they'll see that we left, and we left them a big giant gift. Well, of course, the Trojans, as gullible as they were, took this big giant horse in, and you know the story. Inside that horse were soldiers that jumped out, jumped out of the horse and opened the gates from the inside. The reason I bring that up is I think in our lives, entertainment carries that same danger in that it's something that seems fun, It's something that seems good, but it always carries a message. It always carries a message. And because we're laughing, things get in the gates of our souls. Because we're entertained, we let things in. I've said this before, but guys, you would not have somebody come into your house. If they knocked on your door like a a salesman or, or some sort of Jehovah's Witness or something, you wouldn't have somebody knock on your door and say this. Your God is a false God. You wouldn't have them walk around your house, go in your living room, and tell you, you know what, kids, and go look to your little kids, you know what, kids, you don't need to wait till you're married. You go ahead and you, you get intimate with boys and girls right away. You just do whatever you want to do. You would not tolerate that, would you? But there are messages like that that are funny enough, and we let them in. There's a, there's a cool enough story, and you let it in. 
You wouldn't let somebody come in your kitchen and curse up a storm in front of your children. But if it's entertaining enough, you'll let it in. Well, the Lord is calling us to a deeper level where, where we don't have to put up with that anymore. And here's what he says. He says, incline your ear. And this is, I said all that to say this. There are all these voices coming at us all the time. And what the Lord is asking you to do is to incline your ear, to lean into what he's saying. Have you ever been at the edge of your seat? Have you ever had an announcement that you knew was coming up and you couldn't wait to hear it? That's the way God wants us to feel about his word. This edge of our seat, what are you going to say? I know we go to, we've got two services a week. Some of you go with us to Loon Lake and you hear the word there. Some of you are listening to sermons online. You're watching sermons on TV and you, you say, well, I get this all the time. But when the word of the Lord is preached, there should always be in us this inclining where we lean in and we say, what are you saying to me right now? Or when I open my Bible or I go to prayer in the middle of the day, I incline my ear to the Lord and say, what do you want to say to me? He says, when you incline your ear to me and you come to me, listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Thank God that's the covenant we stand in right now. We're new covenant people with a new and blessed covenant with Jesus Christ who is the mediator of this covenant that no longer will God be angry with us but we know that His righteousness has become our righteousness. His life has become our life. His resurrection power lives in us. So this is the covenant He speaks of. I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. And that's us. We're that nation that the Israelites didn't know about. They're, we're the nation that has run to them and said, we're your brothers, we're your sisters. We became the heirs of Abraham. Then it says this, because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have, not might have, not could have, but will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Thank God. For my thoughts, not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. We've had some rain, haven't we? Well, you instantly know when you step outside that it's rained. Things are different. And even when you can't tell, even if you say, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a farmer, I can't tell what the, if the soil's good or if it's bad, I guarantee even at the slightest bit of rain, that's changed. Maybe it hasn't changed as much as it needs to. Maybe it's changed too much. But even the slightest bit of rain changes the ground. What it won't do is leave it the same. When the word of God comes, instantly there's a change. 
Now, I believe that it's a good change. And you want to be a part of that. You want to to realize that God, when He sends His Word, it is impossible for it not to accomplish something. It's impossible for it not to change something. Now, we understand Jesus illustrated it. It's, It's throughout the Old and the New Testament. That when the Word of God comes and it hits our heart, and we've talked about this many times before, when it hits our heart, it will do something. In the book of Acts, we see it over and over again. The Word of God preached and the Spirit of God hit people's hearts. It pierced to the quick. It cut to the middle of their heart. And for some, it turned them. They repented. They received salvation. They were born again. They were added to the church. And for some, when it hit their heart, their heart got harder. See, it's impossible for you to hear the Word of God and nothing change. You may, you may think that that's possible, but it's not. You can't sit here, hear the Word of God, and stay the same. If you think you're staying the same, what you're actually doing is getting harder. No response to the Word of God is a response. When Jehu, I told Kim one time she, she drives like Jehu. Jehu was a good guy, so it's okay. Jehu was a man that God had picked. He told Elijah, I'm sending you a man. You need to go find this man, this Jehu. And Jehu was one of the men that was going to um, change the, 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 the face of, of Israel and Judah. And, and the Lord sent him uh, because, I mean, Ahab and Jezebel had so messed up the nation, so had messed up Judah, that, uh, or so Israel, that, that uh, you know, they needed rescuing. They needed help. And Jehu came, and there's no kids in here. Jehu came, and he's riding his chariot. And one of the princes comes out, one of the, one of the men that's really um, has wrecked, has, has, has caused much injustice, has forsaken God. And remember, this is the Old Testament. <laughs> and so Jehu rides up, and he goes, and this prince says, Hey, do you got good news for me? News of peace? And Jehu just, you know, shoots him. And that's the end of that. But there's this moment when he comes and people are, you know, this is a coup. This is rebellion. This is not a simple matter. You've got to decide, am I loyal to my king or am I loyal to the Lord? And Jehu said this, who's on the Lord's side? In fact, he said it when um, he comes beneath the window of Jezebel, and Jezebel is so arrogant that she stands there and she's put on all her makeup, and she didn't just put on light makeup, it was heavy. She was the daughter of a priest of Baal, and she was the one that had caused this nation to turn away from God and turn to false idols. Put many prophets of God to death. She stands there, and she's acting so arrogant. And Jehu says, Who's on the Lord's side? And there's a couple of servants that have worked for Jezebel. Now, come on, guys. Think about this. You're Jezebel's servants. How manly can you be? You help her put on makeup in the morning. You're probably not the toughest of tough. Right? I mean, they work in a lady's room. This is where they are. They're in her bedroom. I'm not guessing these are Hulk Hogan's back there. Saying, well, yes, Jezebel, what do you want? These are just, you know, servants that are doing her nails and things. 
This is my guess. This is just Jonathan Bounds' commentary to the Old Testament. I'm not guessing that they're the boldest of bold, the bravest of brave. They've put up with this woman as she's killed the prophets of God. They've put up with this woman as she's stood and spoken vile things against Jehovah. And yet something stirs in them as this coup is taking place, as this revolt is taking place. And Jehu comes beneath the window and he says, who's on the Lord's side? And all of a sudden, these little wimps say, I am. And they look at each other. One, two, three. And they toss Jezebel out the window. They had to make a choice. And there's going to be moments in life where the Lord says, who's on the Lord's side? Pick a side. And this is what happens, is that that they had to pick a side, and and, and there was that proclamation that went out, who is on the Lord's side? There's going to be moments like that where you can't just stay neutral. Listen, if he says, who's on the Lord's side, and you don't respond, what does that mean? You're on the other side. You know, when God speaks to us, Hebrews says in chapter 3, and it says again in chapter 4, I believe, it says this, it says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Why? Because when the Word of God hits our hearts, you have a choice. Respond and be changed or resist and be hardened. But I guarantee this, your heart will not remain the same. It's a fantasy. You can't stay the same. You can't sit in a church service, hear the Word of God, do nothing with it, and expect that your heart's just the same as it was before you came. It's not. Just as the water hits the earth, or as the snow touches the ground, it changes the very ground it touches. So the Word of God, when it hits our hearts, is going to change us. If you respond, it's for the good. Thank God the Word of God that comes to you is an empowering Word. It's a life-giving Word. It's a Word that ministers grace to the hearer. And when the Word of God comes to you, you can do whatever the Word says you can do. Praise God. So he says this. Of course, just like this word, just like the rain and the snow come down from heaven, don't return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout. That's your heart, guys. If you'll receive the word and respond to the word of the Lord, things sprout, things grow, things are planted in your life. In the same way, so will my word which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and you'll be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands instead of the thorn bush. And remember, thorns were one of the first symbols of the curse in the Old Testament. When God said to Adam, you're cursed, cursed, what what does he say? Cursed is the ground. And he says, now it will yield thorns. What does that mean? He said, it will yield thorns, and with the sweat of your brow, you'll work the land. That part of, the, part of the curse was that whatever you're putting your hand to, it's going to take a lot of work. It's not going to grow easily. There's going to be things resisting it. But he says, now instead of thorns, the cypress will come up. 
Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. So here's the promise from the Lord is he says, come, you want something? Come, you need something? Come. This is a celebration chapter. This is a this is a chapter that makes you excited if you really understand it. Because he's saying, even if you don't have any money, you just come. Jesus preached this message about the parable of the sower, didn't he? Can anybody tell me what four things, what four types of ground he talked about? Thorny ground, stony ground, hard like the road, and the good, right? Not in that order, but good job. Here's the order he said. He said, sometimes seed is sown on the road. He says, when it's sown on the road, it doesn't sink in. The birds that come, they, they eat it up. Right? So he related this to a kind of heart that was just hard from the start. This is somebody that comes in the church service, sits down, hears the word and says, I don't believe that. Nah, don't believe that. Well, immediately Satan comes, steals the word, and it's like they never heard it before. Right? It's then, I mean, there's not even a seed there to grow. Do you know what I say? We always say we planted a seed, but uh, apparently, in order for a seed to even stick, there's got to be at least some belief. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they just, just didn't believe at all. There's nothing there. All right. So then he says there's another type, which is the rocky ground. Now, this is a shallow heart. This is somebody that says amen and loves the sermons. I remember we had a, there was a girl, you'll never remember who it was, she was just a visitor, but she said, and this was years and years ago, so I feel comfortable saying this, but she said, the only reason I come is boys and praise and worship. <laughs> That's rough, isn't it? <laughs> well, it was at the time, um, at the time, the music that we had here was, was way rockier than a lot of the churches. There's a lot of, a lot of other churches still hadn't you know, moved to a contemporary worship style. And so, you know, she liked the music and she liked the boys. That's why she came. Well, somebody like that, you could preach a good message. And you may even for a moment go, yeah. I mean, hey, maybe you're sitting next to Bridget or, or, or Tony and, and, and all of a sudden you're excited. Yeah, yeah, this is good. <laughs> and, you know, he tells a joke and you're like, that's so funny. It's so true. And you just, oh, what a great service. But then you leave and... That's the end of that. It was a good service. You didn't fight the word, but you didn't really let it in, and it's not changing your Monday. It, it, it livened up your Sunday morning, but it didn't change your Monday at all. It says, for a while, these people do okay. Well, they go through life. <laughs> well, I go to church. I'm doing pretty well. And, but then a hard moment comes, a time of trial and some sort of persecution comes. The Bible says, Jesus said it was persecution that came because of the word. Maybe somebody at work said, oh, you go to that church. Ugh, really? They're, they're, they're quite literal with the Bible. Maybe they said that. And then instantly it says, because there was no roots in the word, the minute some persecution comes, the minute a hard time comes, the minute a slight storm comes, the word's gone. It's just swept away. Then the third type of heart was a thorny heart, crowded heart. And Jesus talked about these people that will receive the word with joy. 
They'll do the word and bear fruit. If I can, if I can make an assumption, they're not the rocky heart, so I believe even persecution has come and they've still stood. Well, praise God, we, that's it, right? They're doing great. But it says that there's too much stuff going on. It says cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things. Stuff, schedule, crowds out the word, chokes it of its power. And it says they become unfruitful. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm telling you your schedule is potentially a real danger to the word in your life. Or it can be the greatest tool of the gospel getting out, depending on who's the boss of your schedule. If you're the boss of your schedule, not a good deal. If your boss is the boss of your schedule, even worse. But if the Lord is Lord of everything, and you really let him be the king, and you let him tell you that we're having a church service on Canada Day, and you're going to be there, well, I'm not trying to work that in. But it's all through life, isn't it? There's all choices, and, and you know what? We all want our kids to grow up to be healthy and sociable, and we want to put them in sports, don't we? You know, when I was a kid, there were certain sports I just couldn't do, not because I didn't like to play them, not because I wasn't any good at them, but simply because they, took, they would take all our weekends. So we didn't do them. Pick something else. I played soccer. Then the time came where... For several years in a row, they asked, would you play on the provincial team, the team that plays at provincials? And boy, I wanted to. I got to tell you, I really wanted to. Because there's this feeling of pride. I'm representing Lloyd Minster. And there's this feeling of like, like you're better, right? And as a kid, that means a lot. You know, I want to be better than everybody. I, I know that doesn't sound holy or scriptural or anything, but as a kid, you just want to know you're good at something. And I was short. I wasn't going to make the basketball team. So when somebody tells me, you can play on the provincial team, we want you to play, that makes you feel good. But you know the problem? The practices ran right in the middle of services. And the weekends, they'd be gone on tournaments. So I made a choice. And my parents made it clear that it was my choice. I never really knew if I had made the wrong choice that they would have let me do it, but they, they did put it in my heart like it was my choice. When I was a teenager, not when I was a kid, but once I got to be an older teenager. Because when you're a kid, come on, guys. I don't care what kind of weird little um, hippie Sesame Street or whatever we've been watching, but maybe Sesame Street's not hippie, but, you know, whatever, what kind of weird little book you might have read, Kids aren't ready to make those decisions all the time. They need a parent. They need somebody to tell them, this is the way to walk in it, you know. But as soon as I became a, a teenager, I was given a bit of a choice. All right, is this something you want to pursue? Is this something you feel you should? Like I said, I don't know if they would have let me if I had said yes. But I genuinely searched my heart and said, no, I want God more. I want Him more. He's worth it. He's worthy of my time. He's worthy of my energy. He's worthy of my spare time. Now, you can have hobbies. You can be, have entertainment. You can have vacations. Thank God for vacations. But never do any of those things without the Lord. You know, one of the greatest things is having God with you on that vacation. 
Find out if it's the time for you to go. Ask the Lord. Because here's what he says. Why do you waste your time? Why do you waste your money? Why do you waste your energy and the very breath that I breathed into you on stuff that will never satisfy you? We chase what the world is chasing because we think we'll get something from it. But look for a moment. Look hard. Look at Hollywood. Look at the music industry. Find me one truly happy person. You can't find it. And they found, they've, they've achieved everything we've all chased. They got the fame, they got the money, they've got the recognition, the respect. That's never enough. You have what the world is looking for. You have access to the very life of God, the power of God. You have what everybody's chasing. Seek Him while He can be found. This is not something new. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I was going to talk about something else this morning, and, and we'll get there, but, but really, this is something that, that God is saying so clear to us is that when He says, I want to call you deeper, when He says, I want to bring you higher, when He says, I want to bring you into the promised land, it's impossible, it's insane to think that everything else in life would stay the same. It's insane to think that God will revolutionize your life, turn it upside down, but everything's normal? No. This is, we're talking about a transformation that will change everything. It's going to make you a little weird, but it's worth it. That song that we ended with this morning before we went to the offering, it's so valuable to think about exalting Jesus, putting him up at the top. And then that bridge which says, there's none like you, there will be none beside you. One of the first things that God said to his own people was, have nothing beside me. Nothing that's as valuable as me, nothing that's important as me, nothing that takes as much time as me. I guarantee you guys, he'll pay it back. I'll tell you what I'm after, and I've said this before. I'm after the pleasure and the delight that the psalmists spoke of. I'm after the pleasure and the delight that the prophets spoke about. I'm after the pleasure and the delight that Jesus had. I'm after the pleasure of the delight that caused a man like John, even though he's on a rocky Seemingly God-forsaken island. In one of the worst prisons, guy like Paul, in the worst prison Rome ever had, to have joy in life. I'm after it. I want it. I want it more and more and more. And to know that I can delight myself in the presence of God. That in His presence, there are, there's joy, there's pleasure, there's life. Let's chase it. I believe the Lord asked, took us to that place all for this. And we'll close with this thought. The very beginning of the year, and I speak to you, I realize there's visitors here this morning, welcome, love you very much. But what I'm going to say right now is primarily to you who've called this church home. The beginning of the year, the Lord said, it's time. 
can't go into the promised land and stay in the wilderness at the same time. You can't live in the tents that you're used to, in the same area that you're used to, in the same way that you're used to, and go into Canaan at the same time. In fact, can I tell you that the Bible says that the moment they took over Canaan and went into the promised land, that they sowed their seeds, began to plant in the ground, harvested the fruit of the land, and at that moment, the manna stopped. There's a new season that will require different things of you. If you want that, jump in. If you want it, come and get it. But it will cost time and energy, but it's time and energy that comes from God. I'm going to tell you, the more time you spend doing what he tells you to do, the more energy you'll have. The more you'll feel like, man, I don't know how I could do all this. It's insane for us to believe that God would say it's time and that nothing would change. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't that be tragic? Is if the Lord would move us and pull on our hearts and tug us forward and then everything was the same? The great revivals in 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, and even further back. There's this common element. Yes, there was prayer that always took place before. But then this. There were days and nights when no one left. Days and nights where people just stayed at the altar. Would we be able to do that? Because if we're not able to do that, and I realize we've got jobs, and God called us to these jobs, right? If God put you there, He's going to take care of your job. Don't you worry about it. But if you're not willing to give Him some of that time and let Him be, you know, change the schedule, then can I, can I just tell you something that will be a great help to you? Stop asking for revival if you don't want what comes with revival. If you don't, if you don't want what comes with the move of God, don't ask for it. I mean, if you just want to be comfortable with the same schedule every day, then let's just kick the Holy Spirit out. But I want Him here. And I want Him to be a part of the service. I want Him to be a part of my life. I want to encourage you that, that you folks, these brothers and sisters that I see in front of me, are some of the most hungry people I've ever met. And I'm going to tell you, I... Tina and I, we go and we minister other places sometimes, and I love the churches we minister to, but I've never had people lean into the Word of God like I have here. Now, that's amazing to me. Because normally when you're a guest speaker, people like you more because you're a guest speaker. But the way you guys receive the Word is so inspiring to me that I want to tell you that what I'm saying today is not getting on you. It, I'm, I want to spur you forward. I want to encourage you. You're on your way to something. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't be intimidated. And don't let someone who calls himself a Christian tell you to cool down. Don't let someone who calls himself a church person tell you that you need to just be like everybody else. Be radical. Be radical. Amen. Praise God.